Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this new episode of Sartorial Talks, live from Bourgogne, from our living room. I can't believe we are... We implanted a recording studio in our living room right there in the middle of our house. As usual, I have the pleasure, the privilege, and the joy to be accompanied by my beautiful wife and co-host of the Sotoyal Talks, Sonia Glynn. How do you do, Sonia, today? I'm doing well today. How It's an autumn day today in France, actually. Yes. Uh, we went outside with uh, Cosmos, our director, to buy some wine. This is one of our favorite sports, as you know. We bought some Irancy. You may not know Irancy. It's a very little appellation close to where we live in the region of Chablis. It's red wine. And we bought a beautiful Irancy by beautiful house called Maison de la Chapelle, who is crafting a good Irancy that you also like a lot, darling. Yes, I'm very particular. And most everyone's heard of Chablis, the white version that's made near our place. But not many people have heard of Irancy. So Irancy, yeah. It's, it's growing in popularity, I understand. Yes, it's only 300 acres. So it's a micro-production, yes. and that's what we like in France, because we have this little gem, 300 hectares, I don't know how that's translated in acres, probably 600 acres or something like that, which is, for the size of an appellation, really something extremely small. Today, we're going to speak about a subject that I wanted to tackle since a long time, uh, and it's the subject of style icons. And we wanted with Sonia to tackle this subject since a long time because we always have the same problem when we are asked the same question. You remember which question I'm, I'm, I'm uh, referring who to? Who are your style icons? It's yes. very simple. And what is our problem? Uh, it's hard to think of modern day style icons. Yes, it's always the same. When mm -hmm. we think about what is your style icons, uh, I always, always say, well, we are quite immediately... Uh, took back to taken back to took back to uh, Hollywood. Yes. Uh, Cary Grant, Gary Cooper, Fred Astaire, Clark Gable, uh, whoever. But people from the 1930s, 1940s. But when uh, the the question continues and people ask, well, well, "Yes, that's nice." But what are your current style icons? And that is to say, the people you really admire for their style. I th I can speak for you. Both of us, we are embarrassed. Is that right? Yeah, it is difficult. You know, back in the day, uh, people wore classic clothes every day. Yes. And now it's more the exception in many cases than the rule. Mm. And this is why it's not so easy. Like we can see Daniel Day-Lewis dressed in a suit and say, wow, he's super stylish. But That's of course right. he plays many other roles mm -hmm. and he's dressed differently. And in everyday life, he may be dressed differently too. So that's mm. a big change in the modern day. I agree with you, darling, but let's try to push this subject a little bit further because that's, I would say that would be the first layer of answer that, yes, that's true. Back in the years, people were wearing suits or were dressing up the way we classic style lovers like to dress up um, more regularly. But it's not, in my opinion, the only uh, reason why we are attracted to this icon because... I don't believe only clothes make an icon. I think there's something else. And we're going to try to deep dive in this subject. That's a good and point. Yeah, and for that, uh, we had the pleasure years ago. Um, we didn't have many contact with him the last two, three years, but uh, we had a good uh, contributor. You know that in Parisian Gentlemen, we, uh, some time to time, we were, um, um, had guest contributors. And this one was called Benjamin Wilde. I think he's a doctor. 
Benjamin he is. Weiss. And he went on later to also publish a book with Thames and Hudson. I yes. Think it was a biography of Cecil Beaton. Yes, and, uh, the biography of Cecil Beaton, yes, a fantastic yes. book, actually. It worked very well. Yes, and it did um, well. I think he's a fashion historian, he's a lecturer. You can have a sip, darling, if you want. Uh, he's also um, a sip of water. We don't drink Iranci during the show. <laughs> <laughs> it was before and we would be after, but not during the show. Um, uh, yeah, he, he worked for the Condé Nast University and he's teaching in uh, some college. He's a, quite a high-level um, scholar in yes. terms of fashion and style. And he wrote for us, back in the years, a very interesting piece of writing about Fred Astaire. Gary Cooper and Cary Grant and the title that I adore is that he says Aster Cooper and Grant they don't make them like that anymore this is a Beautiful way. I didn't know how. I didn't know this expression. It almost sounds a little baseball. Oh yeah. And, uh, Benjamin uh, Wilde's very uh, sophisticated. So it was a funny title. I like. Yeah. It. And so in this article, he's taking. Um, we're going to take a few abstract and then try to discuss one little. But I think he he really managed to nail it to really show us that it's not only about the way these people were clothing and make them icons, but it's, it was more about a, a global attitude and maybe even the representation of masculinity of men and what they present, represented back in their years. So he's taking um, a few references and he's uh, quoting uh, an article by uh, a man called Richard Cohen from the Washington Post. Uh, and that was in 2010, something like that. And this man wrote... Um, an article about the new sex appeal promoted by the last film of James Bond. And he was explaining that this guy was complaining to say that now the so-called style icons or the men's icon of the, of the years 2010 is already 10 years ago. Uh, it was all about men's spectrals and glutes and not about man's personality and gumption. So the stage is set. It is, and you know, 10 years ago, especially, that was a huge focus, was um, being physically fit. Yes. Not that it's not today. I think today, uh, men and women both are, are trying to lose weight. It seems like more focused on diet, balance with exercise, but we're talking about a decade ago. It was really a focus on physical fitness. Yes. And periods shift, things change, life's a cycle. So uh, it's it's interesting compared, it is. comparing it to the Hollywood age of golden Hollywood. It is interesting. And he says... In this article that this debate about man's societal role and public presentation gives a new twist to the age-old discussion, and we agree with that, about great men or about style icons, about the people we can identify or we, tr we try to identify to, particularly from the days of the golden years of Hollywood. So Cohen suggests that man's current focus on physical perfection, as you said, was in 2010, has emasculated him. So he goes wow. very far. Wow. <laughs> Mr. Cohen. It's a strong statement. <laughs> it's a strong statement. <laughs> to make the point, so he compares, and we're going to deep dive. We're going to go, we're going to make an experiment uh, in this show. We're going to listen to old movies. Uh, I mm. prepared two or three abstracts of, uh, two abstracts from a movie with Fred Astaire and one with Cary Grant, uh, because first of all, it's interesting for what we're going to say, but this is so charming. There was some kind of a different music back in these years, Absolutely. poetry maybe, 
something very There different. There is some nuance, let's say. Yes, and so he is. Go he compares Daniel Craig's James Bond. I think um, um, it's called Casino Royale. Was in 2010 uh, with uh, Cary Grant's. Uh, the person, uh, the character of Roger Thornhill in, of course, North by Northwest, which is a fantastic film by Alfred Hitchcock in 1959. And he says, Grant, Cary Grant, for all his good looks, represented the triumph of the sexual meritocracy, a sex appeal that was won by experience and savoir-faire, know-how, so by qualities, and not by deltoids and pectorals and other such things than any kid can have. And have you any comments on this? Oh, well, uh, you know, Cary Grant, he was very into um, his career. He really enjoyed yes. being an actor. And he had the philosophy that if he pretended to be who he wanted to be, yes. not what he, who he was trying to be, he, who he wanted to be, mm -hmm. that he would eventually become that person. Yes. So he's, what do we say, completely engaged in what he's doing. So this is an interesting example. Yes. And uh, so uh, the question we're going to ask now, because, well, okay, well, after Benjamin Wilde continues by saying that maybe Cohen's argument doesn't really stack up because he said, well, Bond is zeitgeisty, zeit that is to say. And you said it. Yeah, so it was the, uh, the zeitgeist of the time. The subjects of the time. Exactly. exactly. And that maybe that uh, Mr. Grant will, will not appeal that much to movie gurus or to people who want to see something else. Well, honestly, I'm really ready to challenge that. Because when I ask young people these days who they worship, and specifically who they admire more than worship, uh, in our classic style uh, industry, uh, the name of Cary Grant is coming more often than Daniel Craig. Yes. And oh, uh, we all understand. So the question is, what does this mean for those men hated as icons of style from the silver screen that is from Hollywood? This question, we're going to explore it, and we're going to look at three Different leading men. All right. Fred Astaire, uh, born in 1899, beginning of the century, uh, died in 87. Gary Cooper, probably my personal. Oh, really? Style icon. Born soon after. Uh, well, I love him for yes. real. He's a fantastic because I love Frank Capra, so I, mm -hmm. I cannot love Gary Cooper. He was born in 1901, so two years after Fred Astaire, yes. and he died a little bit younger in 61. And Cary Grant, born in 1904. So those three men were born within the, the within same five, five six years. years yeah. And um, um, uh, Fred Astaire went to the Dancing Heaven in uh, uh, 1980, uh, let me see, 1981. So let's go now to their um, archetypes. There are three kings, literally, in terms of style. Do you agree with that, Classic darling? style, yes. Yeah, kings, literally. Although they are extremely different in terms of character and morphology. Aster was theatrical. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, yes. It was an incredible he, was, he brought life into any room he entered. Yes. And uh, Cooper was taciturn. I want to make sure we have the same definition of taciturn. We say taciturn in yeah, French. Sort of stoic, um, uh, maybe uh, integrating a lot of cerebral thought and, and things that he does. Yes, and not really ready to talk. Yes. Taciturn means, you know, not... Eh, not very interested, very yes. inside himself. Mm -hmm. And so, Astaire was theatrical, Cooper was taciturn, and Grant was trendy. 
He was extremely concerned, and that's something I didn't know. We all look at Grant as he is, you know, a style icon. He doesn't need any. No, he was trendy. He was himself trying to copy others mm -hmm. and make sure he was following the right. He was. He had the zeit. Geist. Which I understand this example is going to play right into what you're saying. Yes, uh, because we're going to play a little bit later. So uh, let's let's speak about Aster quickly. And what is funny is that we recorded, uh, well, two days ago, um, yes. uh, a show on proportions and statures and for the... Um, uh, slim, the skinny guys. Skinny guys and, yes. and shorter guys. Skinny and shorter. Well, yeah, this was mainly just skinny guys. Yes, and we took, we took Aster as an example. We did. Do you remember what we... Gave as um, advices. Oh well, you, we just said use a little a larger lapel than you yes. would normally because skinny guys think they have to get a skinny lapel. We yes. said maybe draw attention to the uh, something on the lapel button, like a boutonniere. Or That's a, right. Or a lapel pen to widen. Use textures, a lot of um, maybe vests, things that bulk up your wardrobe. Mm. Um, there's a few things. That's exactly uh, you, good darling. So uh, let's look about Aster. Slender and short in stature, Aster favored wide. Wide peak lapels, that's what you just said, typically on double-breasted jacket, Yes, just as you said, to emphasize the width of his upper torso and the thinness of his waist, because this guy was particularly thin at the waist, he was a dancer, of so course. he had to be very careful, I suppose, about his <laughs> diet, but he was training like a beast every I, yeah, day. I think he probably didn't have to worry about his diet, exactly. he moved a lot, let's say. So there's a, one thing we never um, uh, mentioned here, is that his jackets were usually without vents. And that's, that's something we observed, right? You remember when I did this suit at Gianni Chelligan? This mm -hmm. electric right. blue? She said, said, don't put the vents there. No vents, because it's, it's a tendency it's to slimmer. It's sort of surprising, because he moved and danced and jumped and swirled, and you'd think that you would need those vents open, but apparently not. No, because he said jackets were usually you without vents, so has to hug the hips and create a crisp silhouette as Astor flung himself across the stage and across the screen. Okay, maybe we're going to see a, re, uh, a, a revival of ventless jackets. Well, I can testify that, well, the only thing with ventless jacket is that you have to be fit. Because, uh, you know, you, you, you have no <laughs> yeah. possibility, you have no space to I, I, move. Yeah. Yeah, But course, in terms of, of, well, formal jacket are most of the time ventless. That's right. Because they are more strict and they literally stick to your body. Then uh, I said pocket squares, of course, as you said, for Astra and Boutonniere added color and texture to dark colored suits and further emphasized the width of his chest. Yes. So, well, you know, we, we didn't know we we're going to do this, um, this show no, today. thank you, Benjamin, for confirming. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and we read well, we just... Pretty much explain. Uh, I don't know if this podcast will be actually uh, broadcasted before yeah, or after the Yeah, we're never sure one. of the order, but we never we'll know. See. We never know. Uh, he had a little problem with his head, which was variously described oh. as being akin to Mickey Mouse. So he had a big head. A big head, like and a so, Brad doll. Yeah, you don't know what so, that is. So that's why he was uh, broadening his chest to make his head a little bit smaller visually yes. and uh, more proportionate. That's sense. Uh, Aster. Uh, do you want to move to Cary Grant? Sure, let's go. Let's go. Cary Grant is a little bit more complicated to explain because for many people they say, oh, Cary Grant was uh, like a beauty of nature, you know, he had natural beauty, which is absolutely not the case. And I'll explain you why. Clothes were used to conceal Cary Grant's physical imperfections. 
And his physical imperfections were, he had a very thick neck. This is a first world problem, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. His, th- his neck was like extremely... Like an athlete, right? Well, I mean, ex- like a, short and thick. Like a rugby player, let's say. Yes. Well, not the rugby players <laughs> of the 21st <laughs> centuries, because the rugby players of the 21st century, they're not human anymore. <laughs> they barely have a neck. Oh my God. Just, uh, this is their so... head merged with their exactly. shoulders. Exactly. It's massive. He had sloping shoulders. Yes. Very sloppy shoulders. And some say that he had a wonky walk. What is a wonky walk? Um, just when you're awkward, when you walk sort of like a nerd walk yeah so you see thick neck sloping shoulder wonky walk. this is not the archetypical style icon in the first place but but whilst narrower armholes on jacket create the illusion of hate yes this is what we always say remember your hard armholes large tie knots and shirts with higher color help to balance the proportion of the necks. Oh, so he was doing larger tie knots sort of to give the illusion that his neck was yes. bare, let's And say. choosing his shirt color a little bit higher. higher to lengthen, yes. You know, to stretch this impression. Very clever. So he knew what he was doing, this guy. And acutely sensitive to how he appeared on the film, uh, that's just an incredible story I told you yesterday night. Can you believe that? Uh, in November 1952, Cary Grant decided to retire from Hollywood, or for a short time, huh? because he, I guess he was called by a big studio and uh, with a big check, he came back. But he decided to retire for a short period of time because he thought that he was too old. He was 48, I think. He was 48. Yes, he was too old to be a convincing leading male at 48. Maybe he was just tired and wanted a break. We don't know. Well, if he retired at Hollywood at 48, I'm 57. <laughs> I should probably be in a nursing home. You love, you love what you do. So of course, but it's... Um, so uh, Grant uh, was loyal to Taylor's. You, many people know that, who served him well. From uh, He was um, uh, loyal from a very beautiful shootmaker from Chicago that you know well. You remember the name of this factory in oh, Chicago? Yeah. Ox- Oxford. Oxford, exactly. Chicago. So he was loyal yes. to Oxford. I didn't know that. Oh. So it's, it's Oxford with double X, mm-hmm. not to mm-hmm. mix with Oxford the town in England or in, um, I think there's another Oxford in South Carolina. Is that correct? No, uh, in Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi, sorry. And uh, so Oxford from <laughs> Chicago, and he was loyal also to Owls and Curtis and Kilgore uh, on Savile Row. Yes, he was a and um, so he was, um, um, Benjamin says that shopping on both sides of the Atlantic, he was familiar with English and American styles from his upbringing. Grant's image possessed the confidence of the new world and the charm of the old world. We can add that I think we had um, uh, a discussion about that with Lorenzo Cifanelli uh, three weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, that they dressed also Cary Grant a couple oh, of okay. times. Oh, okay, yes, definitely. When he was uh, shooting film in Chinachita in I Rome. I see. So he was a tailor freak. He was yeah. really using bespoke tailor. Now, I have the impression I speak way more than you. Is that oh, it's okay? it's okay because this is your passion. I mean, how many times have I heard you say these three names? I can't even count them. So I'm just enjoying um, watching you enjoy yourself. So 
Okay, darling. Don't hold back. Okay, no, no, I don't feel bad. I just <laughs> want to try to balance because, you know, we are recording so many podcasts and YouTube videos. Just be and natural. Go, yeah, go, go. Yeah, because good. I'm really passionate with yes, that. Please. And uh, we're going to continue. Maybe if you like this kind of saga, we're going to continue from the style perspective, telling the story of these people. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Frank Capra, for example. Anything yes. around Frank Capra work with, Gary, uh, with, um, uh, with Clark Gable, uh, uh, with uh, Jimmy Stewart, with uh, Gary Cooper. I'm passionate with that Barbara Stanwyck and Jean Arthur and Donna Reed and all these people are incredible so we'll continue on that so now let's switch to Gary Cooper so the main difference of Gary Cooper was uh, he was a very tall guy yeah, a large guy cowboy even he like was a real cowboy exactly yeah. I don't know if he was as tall as John Wayne uh, was John Wayne very tall I, I he appeared tall I don't know yeah. his height so probably the same kind of hate, you know. For gotcha. the, yes, and you know, kind of a tall guy. And um, so um, uh, I didn't know, but Carrie Cooper was um, was very loyal to Brioni. Oh, really? Yeah, in in Rome, Anderson and Shepard on Savile Row, and Brooks Brothers mm. in New York, among others, because he was dressing everywhere. But um, it's uh, very interesting that uh, I hope Brooks Brothers will recover. This is an icon of uh, the style. We know they are going through some difficult time with COVID. They yeah, filed for right. bankruptcy. But I'm pretty sure they're going to recover Let's because it's, so. um, it's a stable. So. Yes, this was an unusual personality, Cooper. Of course, he was very cerebral, he, yes. and he wasn't naturally social. Um, but he had a different viewpoint than, than Grant. Okay, at first, he said that he thought life was a stage. And so even when he wasn't on stage, he felt like he was on stage, meaning he had to perform all the time in Ooh. his mind. Cooper. Ah, Cooper. He had to yeah. con continuously perform because he, you know, he was a natural cowboy, really, by nature. But he was pushing himself. Yeah. Well, eventually in life, after some experience, he said that what he valued most was people who used their own eyes and their own brain because he just saw a huge loss of individual thinking and even seeing mm. in Hollywood. Mm. And so this guy was sort of a philosopher. He was a vis too. visionary man. Yes, and a visionary. Uh, he would be very... Um, aggressed by the civilization of the 21st century now because he was uh, already, uh, you know, challenging this fame, crave, and all that. You Think know. for yourself, exactly. see for yourself. Yeah. He was, yes. an, I, he, he this would, is probably why I love him so much as an actor. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's not only an actor. When Daniel Craig is playing James Bond, okay, he's, he's a good-looking guy with nice glutes and <laughs> pectorals and deltoids but at the same time Eddie is playing the role when Gary Cooper is playing John Doe in Frank Capra's masterpiece of 1946 I guess Miss John Doe with Barbara Stanwyck he plays John Doe but you can feel Gary Cooper is here too I don't know how to explain it and that will go deeper in our subject and then maybe why we we identify a style icon to these people not only the way they dress but, but the, the way, way they behave. They behave and what they represent and why they convey em emotionally. Uh, Gary Cooper was raised in an, in an American frontier town. So he was introduced to the bold colors and textiles of Mexican garments. Oh, yes. There's a lot of those. Yes. He was educated in Edwardian England. I didn't know that. So he had a very formal education. So he became equally familiar with, on one side, uh, tweed and on the other side the three-piece suit so yes. he was very 
Sutoyoli educated. I don't know. I would have thought the reverse. Yeah, people don't realize that he, he was a Rudite to some degree. Yes. And, and that's a, a good piece of information when you're trying to put it all together to describe his elegance. Exactly. So now we, we're just deep diving into differences because um, Benjamin Wilde, in this beautiful article he wrote for us, he says, more so than Astor and Grant, whose sartorial style was sometimes so polished, and that's true, Fred Astaire and Cary Grant, they were extremely polished, that it looks positively clinical, We can see, for example, uh, uh, Cary Grant in his um, uh, three-button Kilgore suit in North by Northwest. This is, you know, and a matching gray tie. This is almost clinical. I mean, this is very, very conservative and clinical. Of course, with Fred Astaire as well. But yeah. later in life, uh, Fred Astaire said, yeah. the older you get, um, or the better you get, not yes. the older, the better you get, the more mistakes you can make. So yes. he was really obsessed early on. But then later, he relaxed a little bit, but mm -hmm. he could carry off mistakes because and he was the among the greatest of the of great. Course. And he said, you said something to me yesterday when we were discussing this show that he said when you reach a, a level when, when the more you make mistakes, but you, if you are okay with your mistakes, it becomes it your becomes style. It becomes your style. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that, I love that. Yeah, and it's, you know, sort of this stream of consciousness type of way of behaving too. People who are too concerned with being perfect, yeah. they tend to self-sabotage. Yeah. When they release themselves a bit and just allow themselves to make mistakes, they eventually become smarter, gain more credibility. And as you said, as we said, it becomes their style to be at ease with themselves. Yeah. So on the contrary, Cooper, on the contrary of Cary Grant, who was very clinical, you know, uh, Cooper seemed to enjoy the mix of different textures and colors. Of course, yes. he, he could. He had the body for that. He was tall. He and uh, uh, I love this um, 1952 film, High Noon. This is a Western film, you know, mm -hmm. cowboy film, you know. Uh, in France, it's called Le Train Sifflera Trois Fois. This is, this, is, <laughs> uh, this is a very famous movie that all the kids and teenagers have seen. You know, this is this Cooper, you know, he's trying to save... Um, uh, a little town from the bandits, you know, the renegades, and he's alone as a sheriff, you know, and, yes. and the guy alone will save the whole town. And in High Noon, he plays all the world, the, the world weary marshal Will Kane. Uh, we have a glimpse of Cooper's tutorial play as he wears a dark, dark polka dot string tie. We're going to put pictures of that. A dark polka dot string tie with a black and gray striped waistcoat in a western that was mm -hmm. very daring to say the least and unlike many of the other males in the film uh, cooper's character also wears a penny color shirt you know this small the small club shirt, yes. called so he was very uh, interesting so now let's go about let's talk about what makes these people so iconic because we just started the maybe the second layer of the of the cake In early Hollywood films, the lead character, writes Benjamin Wilde, the good mans and the bad man, the goodies and the baddies were often distinguished by subtle wardrobe differences. And now we step into the real subject. You know, it was um, literally a language. Mm -hmm. Back in these movies, back in the years, the way the good guys and the bad guys were dressing was a language. We speak about gangster suits, for example. Mm -hmm. We speak, you see? Yeah, chalk stripes. And uh, this automatic. totally disappear. Can you think about a film today where the where the actors is dressed 
I mean, not a superhero, of course, huh? say something about him. I'm not sure. I think we lost a little bit. That. I don't think people want to um, go that route because dressing classically becomes more like a cosplay if they're trying to say something like I'm dressing gangster mm -hmm. or, you know, or I'm dressing a certain style to communicate something. But Because a lot of people feel like if they go too far, that classic style becomes something else. Yeah. Right? And maybe that plays into the picture. That's probably plays into the picture. I'm a little bit stressed right now because I don't remember which uh, button I have to push to do the the, the Fred Astaire or the other one, whatever. Uh, because no, because <laughs> we, are, I want you're to, doing a lot. That's true. Well, I'm gonna well, I'm gonna, gonna try, and if it's the wrong one, I'm gonna change. So I think we'll basically, it. Fred Astaire was particularly good at making sure he stood up. Stood up. That was his thing. He wanted to to stand out of the crowd. And in his uh, 1938 movie Swing Time, and I wanted to share a little bit of this Swing Time movie. Um, uh, um, Astaire ensured distinction by wearing a double-breasted dinner jacket in the evening dance scenes with a floppy bow tie, while all the other men sharing these scenes wore single-breasted suit, wing-color shirts, and conventional bow ties in white and black and he also had a boutonnier. Swing Time is in 1938 and it's a very interesting movie um, which, um, which is um, um, it's about uh, this guy who's about to get married. He's a dancer mm -hmm. and so he, of course it's Fred Astaire it's, and he's about to uh, marry a very high level uh, woman from a high level family Okay. And his friends uh, make a bet that he will not marry her because the father was not really happy that she will marry a dancer. So they make everything they can to make him... They're trying to delay. To make, to so make him become late to his wedding so, so that the wedding, wedding will be okay. And in this opening sequence, they, one of the guys is looking at Esquire magazine... Yes. And he's just looking at them, and they are going to speak about cuffs on the trousers. That's funny. And this is so charming that I can't resist to uh, listen to this um, little abstract. I think this is this one. If you are on YouTube, we're going to look at the, um, uh, uh, the film. It's two minutes. And if you are on podcast, listen to this charming moment. Oh, look. Marvelous. Colossal. Splendid. <laughs> oh, 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 wait a minute. Oh, you're not going like that. Why, of course. Big church wedding, girl's family very social, whole town there. Well, I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Just a hick town. Well, what doesn't matter? Last year's trousers. Last year's trousers? No cuffs. No cuffs? No cuffs? Who ever heard of cuffs on these? Are you serious? Ah, don't be ridiculous. Oh, maybe he's wrong. Wait a minute, let's see that. Well, what do you think of that? Well, you know, you're in a hurry and everything. You're liable to get a fix in no time. Garnett? Yeah? You want it on the telephone? Yeah. All right. Telephone. Just a minute, I'll answer it for you, Lucky. It'll only take about five minutes. Hello. Hello, John. Will you hurry? Well, tell him the minister's here. Margaret's been ready for an hour. We're all waiting for him. All right, I'll tell him. This is a Who was it? It was the minister. He uh, said to take it easy. He'll be about a half hour late. Oh, good. 
Now, you see, look, there's plenty of material. Now, I'll take them down and have them fixed. No, you don't. Uh, Pop, you take them down to Smith's and have them back in five minutes. You, you want two cups on them? Yeah, one on each leg. Yeah. And hurry up. Tell them I gotta have them back right away. How charming. So, if you don't have the picture, you see this. It's mesmerizing. All this is mesmerizing. This, like this isn't just poetry inside that. And true. they, uh, how is there a film today where they open, they do two minutes of the opening thing about cuffs and Esquire magazine and Aster was so concerned about the cuffs on his trouser. This is another era. Uh, this that is, is maybe, another era. Hope, uh, yeah. Hopefully, we'll we'll help some people catch the bug to watch some older movies. Yes, now. and it's not. Uh, it's 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 not about the cuff itself. It's about what it communicates to others. That's the whole idea. Yes, it was so very important. So the distinction, and we continue with Benjamin Wilde, the distinction that these stars of the past attain through the way they're dressed reveals how much the film industry has changed today. And this is so true. Absolutely. Uh, and with it, how our notion of the icon has totally changed. We speak about something totally different. When Astor, Cooper, and Grant were making films, Hollywood... And I, all, I, I said this so many times, I like this small anecdote. Hollywood had an increasing number of makeup artists, of stylists, of costume designers, but even with, every, with all these amenities at hand, all these stars uh, often dressed themselves, sometimes with their own clothes. Uh, you with me, darling? I am. You're looking at yes, your notes. Yes, I am. Uh, with their own clothes. This personal touch of an actor being responsible for his own wardrobe is also something, it's a far cry from today, because today an actor's wardrobe is sourced for him frequently endorsed by a couturier or by a brown, and they don't even choose what they're going to wear anymore. That's right, it's not in their hands. And this is why also this makes a huge difference, because you imagine when Gary Cooper was playing a role, he was choosing his own clothes by mm -hmm. himself. Mm -hmm. That is to say, it was his interpretation of his character, except cowboys or maybe, you know, when you were... I'm sure they had uh, directors for, for costume. <laughs> and yes. I'm thinking the string tie yes. that you mentioned earlier is probably a bolo tie. Exactly. So you understand that personality is particularly important uh, when pondering the, the nature of icon. And this is what we may... L maybe we lost a little bit. Personality. For film stars of the golden age of Hollywood are never revered for their dress alone. And that's what I wanted to say. They are not revered only because they were dressing well. Fred Astaire, Gary Cooper, and Cary Grant, they are worshipped and eulogized for what they represented. Most often, and that's the mo this is the core of what we wanted to share with you today, they were, what they represented most often uh, was uh, about moral integrity or an aversion to excess, uh, or of which their dress was a key signifier. So according to Dr. Benjamin Wilde, and he's a very good writer and a very astute observer, he said that the way these people were dressing with their own clothes, even in movies, were key signifier of their moral integrity, or their personality, or their aversion to excess. And this is very, very, very important to understand. For example, when Ralph Lauren was speaking about character Gary Cooper, I don't know why, they knew each other, obviously. He spoke about the actor being convincingly authentic. 
Wow. He says he was handsome, honorable, and honest. Mm. When Giorgio Armani, for example, was, speaks about Cary Grant, he says that uh, he thinks, I don't know if they met each other, but he was speaking of him as um, he possessed an easy manner. His ready wit was charm, completed by his ability to wear clothes effortlessly. You know, there's also a, a key word for that. And the truth was probably different, actually, <laughs> because Grant was putting a lot, a lot, a he lot. He was fully engaged. Yeah, he was trying to copy others also. Well, he I'm sure he developed his own style through that eventually, yes. but he really cared, we can say. Fred Astaire was similarly focused on the perfection of his appearance, but his personal, and, and some say that his uh, relationship with uh, Ginger Rogers suffered by that because he was obsessed. He was so bit. obsessed. Yeah. Well, he always said, think big. He said, try to be right yes. and do everything with style. So this was his obsession. Yeah. And it, it made him who he, who he was. So. Yes, but it says also in the text that above all, Astro puts effort, relentless effort, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into making his vision about the art of dance loose look perfectly effortless. And if yes. there's one guy in the world who looks perfectly effortless when he dances, this is Mr. Asser, I yes. really love this guy. He too. says that if you if you do something, no matter what it is, even if it's not dancing, yeah. if you can make it look easy, then you've succeeded. Exactly. Now we move to the, um, another abstract. But first of all, um, um, there's another concept that Benjamin is, is putting here. It's about the technology, how technology changed the world. And how, you know, at the time of uh, Cooper, Grant and Astor, the, the word paparazzi didn't exist even. So that was a very different relationship to the public. And um, he says, the world generally receives stars as stars chose to present themselves, which is not at all now how it works today with technological development. You know, um, uh, um, Anne Wintour, which was the editor-in-chief of uh, Vogue magazine back in the years, she used to say oh, 10 or 15 years ago in the New York Times that, um, uh, no, she was to say in Vogue that we were all dressing now not for us, Mm -hmm. but for the New York Times-style photographer Bill Cunningham. And oh, this is true really? today. We dress for Instagram. We dress oh, for yes. other people. You it's understand? a good analogy for yes. sure. We don't dress for ourselves. We don't dress. And that's true. We have to be honest. You know, we try, Sonia and I, to all to still have this, but we are also permeable to the gaze of others. We have to be honest I with that. I think most people are, and, and maybe we should be transcending that a bit more than we do. Exactly. Oh, let's, let's decide to make this effort. Okay, I agree. So uh, we're in a different world. Technology is probably the single most significant factor mm -hmm. that has transformed the film industry. I agree. And perceptions of its leading star styles. Uh, you know, the film between the 30s and 50s, the one that you know I love so much, <laughs> used clothing to provide audiences with visual cues about the actor's state of mind and emotions. That's exactly, oh my gosh, thank you, Mr. Wilde. This is maybe in one sentence something that will summer up everything we do together since Say it again. It's say that these people were um, uh, used clothing 
Yes. Like we do use clothing to provide audiences with visual cues about our state of mind and our emotions. Okay. This is so important. Everything is said in one That's nice. sentence. And now uh, we're going to move to something uh, also which is, makes the whole difference. We are in, a, in another world, literally. Uh, because the scripts of these earlier films were also very different than those of today. You know, as much depended on the actor's chemistry with one another to convey a point. Let's, we're going to, uh, I can't resist one more time, to, um, uh, to share with you a dialogue, uh, 40 seconds of a very famous dialogue in North by Northwest, where Cary Grant's character, Roger Thornhill, becomes acquainted with his heroine, Eve Kendall, played by Eva Marie Sane on a Chicago-bound train. And it goes like this. Listen how interesting. These are, it's literally a flirt between two people in the 1940s. Listen to this. Funny how I have that effect on people. It's something about my face. It's a nice face. Do you think so? I wouldn't say it if I didn't. Oh, you're that type. What type? Honest. Not really. Good, because all these women frighten me. Why? I don't know. Somehow they seem to put me at a disadvantage. Because you're not honest with them? Exactly. Like that business about the seven parking tickets? What I mean is, the moment I meet an attractive woman, I have to start pretending I've no desire to make love to her. What makes you think you have to conceal it? She might find the idea objectionable. Then again, she might not. Ladies and gentlemen, I adore that. I adore because this is this verbal exchange is light but edgy at the same time. When she's, she says, uh, he says, what I mean is the moment I meet an attractive woman, I have to start pretending that I have no desire to make love to her. That's very bold. And she answers, uh, what makes you think you have to conceal it? And he says, she might find the idea objectionable. And she said, then again, she might not. Right. It's like the subtlety <sighs> made it more powerful. The, and isn't that a strange concept? The more subtle you are, the more powerful you can be. Yeah. That's an oxymoron. It is an oxymoron. Yeah. And it's, it, you know what this creates? And this is also our feeling. This is why these people are icons. It's not about, it's also about the elegance of attitude, about the, you can participate to that. You can imagine the rest. You can, it's not crude and, and you know. And now we're going to read together if you, because that's the comparison Mr. Wilde is doing in this article. With this conversation between, uh, in the North by Northwest in, uh, with Cary Grant and another one uh, between uh, Daniel Craig's uh, Casino Royale and Vesper Lynn played by Eva Green. This is the same kind of thing. They are in a train and they speak, but you will see that uh, in 2010, the tonality is very, very different. Let's it's go, a, darling. Yeah, you is... play the, um, the woman. I'll just jump in into the middle of the scene. What else can you surmise, Mr. Bond? About you, Miss Lynn? Well, your beauty is a problem. You worry you won't be taken seriously. Which one can say about any attractive woman with half a brain. True. But with uh, this one, overcompensates by wearing slightly masculine clothing and being more aggressive than her female colleagues, which gives her a somewhat prickly demeanor. 
And ironically enough, it makes it less likely for her to be accepted and promoted by her male superiors who mistake her insecurities for arrogance. All right. By the cut of your suit, you went to Oxford or mm. wherever and naturally think human beings dress like that. But you wear it with such disdain. Uh, my guess is that you didn't come from money and your friends never let you forget it, which means you're at that by the grace of someone's charity, hence the chip on your shoulder. Now, having just met you, I wouldn't go as far as calling you a cold-hearted bastard, but it wouldn't be a stretch to imagine that you think of a woman as disposable pleasure rather than meaningful pursuit. So, as charming as you are, Mr. Bond, I'll be keeping my eye on our government's money and off your perfectly formed arse. You noticed my arse? Even accountants have imagination. So, you see the difference. It's, we come back to the glutes. We started with the glutes, we yes. come back to the glutes. We're in 2010. It's the same kind of situation. They are attracted to each other, and then you're okay. It's a smart-ass conversation in the James Bond style, and maybe the comparison is a little bit exaggerated. But how charming and subtle and restrained and was this relationship between this man and this woman uh, in North by Northwest and how crude and uh, even uninteresting I must say this is a well it's a sort of a difference between flirting and just being sexy so the first one was more uh, had had more type uh, I would say levels of uh, thought yes and uh, I'm, I'm missing a word, but it was just more rich yes. in the conversation. And this is just outright trying to be sexy. Mm. So I think there's an art, yeah. I think, even between a man and a woman called flirting, yeah. which is not exactly being overtly sexy. I agree with you. Let's finish this beautiful piece of writing. Um uh, Mr. Wilde said, Richard Cohen's personal anxiety might diminish if men like Harry Grant return to Hollywood blockbusters, but unfortunately, it won't happen, at least not in the immediate future, because film and the clothing they stars sport can generally only impress if they engage with the zeitgeist and if in some way they endorse contemporary societal morals. Presently, people want male action figures to be well-toned. So that is what they will get. As Tom Paine has explained, our relationship with celebrity and fame is complex as we reserve the right to worship and denigrate our idols as we deem fit. This has always been the case, but developments in social media, that's so true, have conspired to give us the viewers and the warriors even more power to get our own way. Can I finish reading this? This is a beautiful oh, text. It is hardly coincidental that many of the Hollywood stars whom we acknowledge as icons, they reached the peak of their careers before the word paparazzi was coined in the 1960s. Today, our stars don't last long at all. Huh? We know that very well. Even if they do burn more brightly than their predecessors when under the spotlight. This explains why we no longer have real icons. And that explains why when I'm asked, I'm very embarrassed 
to, to answer. For Hollywood figures of the past, like Astor, Cooper, Grant, we can add a lot of them, uh, Jimmy Stewart, Clark Gable. Uh, this is actually rather good news for them, because they will be remembered as real icons. They will continue to inspire, and they inspire me, they inspire you also, darling, um, perhaps more than ever. They inspire a lot of young people that are part of our community, because they now represent something immutable. They represent something steadfast. They represent something so different to today. And as the characters remain timeless and appeal to us because of their distance and difference, so too will the clothes they wore to work. They are magic. The end of man may be nigh, but at least we'll go out looking ground and buff. <laughs> this is a beautiful piece of writing. Um, yes. Flash think, forward um, 10 years, um, we have an even stronger dilution. Um, we have Netflix, we have Amazon, we have streaming. So we're yes. going to see many more people come onto the scene. So yes. it's going to be more and more difficult to stand out. Yes, but this morning, darling, I read an article, I don't know where, where people, I think it was about people selling clothes, clothing for tailoring and they see they start to see a little bit of something happening yes that, of course uh, you know it's i've been all, hearing the uh, same yeah. thing May, maybe it's a little bit you maybe know. they're just tired of confinement and they want to get out and dress up and start taking it seriously yes. they maybe they realize what they were missing out on yes and uh, this uh, clothier you know it was um, i think it was a factory of clothes saying that they can see something's happening you know, in the orders yes. and the fact that people are going back to some, you know, pick lapels, to some, sorry, chalk stripes and something more sophisticated than the usual corporate blue and gray. And so maybe something's happening. I was mm -hmm. so happy to have this uh, nice. exchange. That's a nice thing to hear. And I apologize, darling, if I've been speaking a lot on this one, because um, you know my passion for these three people. Uh, I think you prepare... Uh, a show on some, oh, well, as far yes, as I know. it'll be a surprise. It's well, an American. That's, we can't say his name for the moment. Doing. I'll give you initial AJ. And it's we'll AJ. See. So uh, try Let's to see. guess. It's about an, a style icon, we can say yes, that, right? Yes, uh, probably the most famous that you've never heard of. And this going to be for a next episode of Sotorial Talks. You understand that if you like these kind of sagas, if you like this work around Hollywood stars, if you like that we put some kind of a, our, um, you know, discuss our style icons and try to go a little bit further than only, you know, the clothing and only everything like that, uh, uh, please comment and, uh, um, and, and tell us if you like this idea. For the moment, bye-bye, uh, everybody. Uh, take care of yourself. Nice work, Hugo. Uh, yes, uh, we had once again the blast. We spoke fun. for 50 minutes. Wow. So uh, we give you an appointment for the next episode of Sotorial Talks. Bye, my friend. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. you, darling. You've been great. Time. Thank you. 